Thank you, Jane. Thank you, everybody. Lovely to be here. Um, yes, as Jane said, my name's Gavin. I live just up the road. Uh, I'm married to Lucinda, who got ordained at Ely Cathedral last weekend. And she's now doing her first preach at her new church, probably about now. And I'm going to hear her repeat it at 10.30 in, in Stapleford. So thank you so much for having me. Um, and we're in the book of Hebrews at the end, as uh, Jane said, of this series. And we're in Hebrews chapter 13, page 1 to 14, uh, verses 1 to 14, which is on page 1212 if you've got access to a red Bible, if you want one. Concluding exhortations. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who were ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with all you have. Because God had said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I had a funny feeling about this sermon, even before I saw the passage that I was to preach on. I had the feeling that this is going to be right up my street. And I opened up Hebrews, and immediately it resonated with me. The title is intriguing, Concluding Exhortations. On the surface, it seems like a bit of a random collection of extra bits of information tagged on to the end of a letter. Ah, and one other thing. Oh, and don't forget, but whoever the Hebrews author was, they set out some clear standards of behavior. These are more than random extra thoughts. But there's an urgency to them, for they are profound social and moral content. 
These verses have lessons for us all in terms of love, leadership, and loyalty. But I want to base this talk around what love should look like in the context of church, and then how it's expressed by church into the world. Firstly, love in the church context. Given that this was addressed to a church, it's clear that the author is imploring us to understand how a church expresses love to each other. Yes, it's important in many other areas of life, but like in any family, it's crucial in a church. Very quickly, can a lack of loving leadership, fellowship and culture destroy a community like ours and ruin any witness we might hope to be in the world? We must be holy, loving brothers and sisters, for this is Philadelphia, brotherly love. Indeed, I've been a member of this church now for about 22 years, and I've always known it to be a place of loving acceptance. Even in times when there have been differences of opinion, and I remember some very clearly differing views about the Second Gulf War, for example, but I felt these were handled in a loving and conciliatory manner. So that's inside the church. But what does that love look like for us outside these walls? The writer gives us some really clear examples, and I'd like to reflect on these, share a story from my own experience, and fling out some questions of my own too. Love looks like hospitality to strangers. We have seen from this country's response to the Ukraine crisis the way in which many have opened their doors, how this gifting is being played out in many Christian hearts. And this has been wonderful to behold. However, do we have the same attitude between crises? Are we really good as a congregation at welcoming in the stranger when it's not headline news? How can we improve? Love looks like prison ministry. And I know, as Jane mentioned, a number of us in our congregation are involved with Kairos or prison fellowship or Sarah's new theological training for prisoners. By extension, I'd like to shoehorn in hospital chaplaincy into this section, plus also those who seek to befriend those in our community who are lonely and afraid. Perhaps I can mention the Ditchburn Fellowship on a Tuesday afternoon, for example. This kind of compassion ministry comes from very deep sympathy, a place of deep sympathy and understanding, as though you are a prisoner with them, as though you are suffering in the same way. Having your heart broken for those in need is a profound experience and one after which we are never the same again. I pray you too have had or will have such a moment. I'd love to discuss and reflect this afterwards with you just before I disappear to hear my uh, wife preach. It's appropriate. Thank you that Paco and Grace are here for this example. Love looks like a society where marriage and monogamy is upheld. However, in a church context, are we truly supporting this? I know a number of wedding services in this building when we were asked whether we would support and uphold the couple in their marriage now and in years to come. We all happily and loudly proclaim, we will. But if I'm honest, I did nothing of the sort. For many years, Bill and Linda have been brilliant at supporting marriages 
through courses and through agape courses. And perhaps this needs renewed attention for us as a church. Love looks like contentment. To quote my commentary, covetousness is born of doubt, but contentment is the child of faith. Time and again, I fail to remember the words of Madame Blueberry from VeggieTales, that wise old sage who said that a thankful heart is a happy heart. I should be content to leave matters in the hands of a providential God. As Christians, because he first loved us and sent his son to die for us, we should be leading a life of love and purpose alongside our fellow Christians. Only then can we say in confidence, as it says in the pivotal verse in this passage, that the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? However, in the current climate, it seems difficult to fathom what our attitude should be as the body of Christ. In our society, which no longer knows where to turn to for moral authority, so many people, companies and organisations are very quick to declare what love looks like. I noticed that one of the phone companies isn't advertising the effectiveness of its broadband anymore but it spends its advertising budget telling us what kindness to women looks like. The declarations of what a loving society should look like are very loud and insistent. We must think like this. We must kneel like this. We must wear this badge or fly this flag. What should the church's response be? Should there be any response at all? Should we show ourselves to be just as loving by displaying rainbow flags and emphasizing our pronouns. Thanks to Bible passages like this one, it's quite clear that the Christian church has all the information it needs to carry out its task. Indeed, in verse 9, it says that we should not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Therefore, equipped with all the necessary symbols and slogans already, we should just get on with it. We know what love looks like, because we had it described to us in detail a couple of thousand years ago. Now, I love helping to equip Christians to show love in, our, in their community. And I need to clear an interest here, as I'm about to tell you a story involving the charity I started in Cambridge. But I hope you'll understand that it works as a relevant illustration. As part of an Impact Sunday, a small group of St Barnabas folk like to give their time on a Sunday morning to do garden projects for those in need, those who need help. A couple of weeks ago, our charity arranged for them to spend their time tidying up a garden for a single mum of four children who also worked part-time as a nurse. This person's struggles were obvious when we first met her. But she was doing her best to keep the house neat and tidy, and there was a meal about to be served in the kitchen, but the garden had become one thing too far. What's more, her parents were arriving from Hungary on the Tuesday, and she was fretful about the state of the garden, as her parents had a beautiful one back at home. 
In the end, the St. Barnabas group were only down to three on the day, but what a lovely transformation they achieved in the time. When we went to collect the kit and waste on the Monday, this person's whole bearing and mood had shifted. The effort of a small group of people had brought a lightness to her and perhaps a hope that had not been there before. Our van guys were able to leave her with a New Testament and something may have changed for good in her life. Society is trying desperately to show everyone what love looks like. Love looks like comic relief or children in need. For our wider society, love is loud, brash, barely avoidable, and once a year. As we know from 1 Corinthians, of course, love does not boast. It is not proud. Christian love is quiet, constant, and nearly always unseen. At Beesham, we only share photos of transformed gardens on Facebook to inspire many to consider being part of the transformation of our society, not to say we're great. As we approach the time of confession and Holy Communion now, I would like us all to consider the path of Christian love. Later on in the passage, it exhorts us to go to him outside the camp, outside the city gate. If that city were in the 21st century, it would be full of people boasting of their inclusive credentials. The new Puritans, who will not hear of anything but total acceptance of every kind of lifestyle, while being strangely intolerant of anyone who would see it differently. Let's go outside the city walls to sit at the foot of the cross and gaze in wonder at what perfect love looks like. Away from the noise of the city, dying an agonizing death, is the one who embodied love and gave his life for all. As I close, I'd like to pray. Let's pray. We say sorry, Lord. You set the standard of love in this world. It needs no adding to by me or anyone else. I know that I don't live up to this standard. I don't deserve this sacrifice. But your love inspires us to love and want to serve as you served. Seeking no renown, seeking no reward and no recognition. Please guide me to serve where you have, will have me, Lord. Inspire me still further to love and follow you. Amen.